we have to really treat early detection as one of our best tools to beat cancer. I mean, cure is great. We want to do everything we can to reduce the likelihood that someone ever gets breast cancer or any cancer and be able to rid people of cancer if they get it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Radiology Report podcast, where we are having conversations with the leaders transforming radiology today. You can find us on radiologyreportpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Arnold. Today, we are thrilled to have Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz on our show. As a leading voice for breast cancer detection and survivorship, Congresswoman Wasserman Schultz is uniquely positioned to understand the critical role that radiologists play in our healthcare system. As a breast cancer survivor herself, Congresswoman Wasserman Schultz has been the leading voice on breast cancer legislation and has championed critical bills like the Early Act and the PALS Act to prevent deaths from breast cancer. Congresswoman Wasserman Schultz began her career in the United States House of Representatives in 2005, where she was sworn in to serve Florida's 23rd district. Currently, Congresswoman Wasserman Schultz serves as the Cardinal of the House Appropriations Committee, where she chairs the Military Construction and Veterans Affairs Subcommittee. She also serves on the House Committee of Oversight and Reform. Congresswoman Wasserman Schultz, thank you so much for joining the Radiology Report. Daniel, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, first of all, congratulations on your reelection. I grew up in Miami-Dade County, and I'm so proud of all the growth and innovation happening in South Florida. Most of our listeners are radiologists and medical imaging leaders. On your official website, alongside your top pillar issues, such as the environment, women's rights, and others, people might be surprised to find breast cancer as one of your top issues. For those unfamiliar with your background, can you please share a bit about your personal journey on the topic of breast cancer and why this is a pillar issue for someone in the House of Representatives? Sure. Thank you so much. And and really, thank you for giving me the opportunity to discuss my story and my legislative priorities. You know, for me, confronting cancer head on with an all hands on deck approach uh, is really personal Mm -hmm. and professional for me as well. I'm a cancer survivor, but my own mom passed away last year after battling lung cancer. Nearly everyone in my immediate family that we've lost has died of some form of cancer. And some of you may have heard my story. It's one like so many others that begins with the really difficult words, you have cancer. In 2007, when I was only 41 years old, I was doing a routine self-exam in the shower and I found a lump. And this was just a couple of months after my first mammogram, which had come back clean. And, you know, it it indicated, and since this is a primarily radiologist audience, you'll understand what I mean when I say the only thing that was indicated is that I had some calcifications. And so that kind of raised my antenna. I would do self-exam, you know, semi-regularly, but, you know, was prompted to do it a little more often after I saw the calcifications notation. And At that point, I found the lump, and just a few days after I went to the doctor, I heard those dreaded words that you have breast cancer. And I was among the one in eight women to be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime, which in and of itself is really a staggering statistic and a a needle that hasn't moved very much. And I also discovered, like many other Ashkenazi Jewish women, that I carry the BRCA2 gene mutation. And that gene mutation made me five times more likely to get breast cancer 
and gave me a 40 to 85% risk of getting ovarian cancer before I was 50. So I, I went through 15 months of surgeries and treatments. And when I was cancer-free, which next month will be 15 years, I really knew that I wanted to use the platform that I have to make a difference and to be able to fill a void that I worked with the cancer community to, to determine you know, what was the best approach to be able to do that. Thank you for sharing your, your story and, and one that's unfortunately all too common. So when you were in Congress and you made started learning more about breast cancer, what were the gaps that you saw in our, our current system at that time? And, and what led you to developing the Early Act? What does the bill do? And, and how did you decide to put this legislation together? Well, the funny thing is, is that I had been involved in the fight against breast cancer as the state legislator in the uh, early 2000s. I passed the drive-through mastectomy bill in our state legislature. And, you know, I, I thought I knew a lot about breast cancer and was really stunned when I realized that I had been at higher risk as an Ashkenazi Jewish woman and knew that there were gaps that if I didn't know, as involved as I had been in the fight against breast cancer, then how many other women at higher risk like I was didn't don't know. So the early act, after I went through you know all all the process of getting healthy, I worked with about 40 different groups. And we really drilled down and determined that focusing on younger women and women at higher risk was was really a void that needed to be filled. So I introduced and passed the Early Act, the Education and Awareness Requires Learning Young Act. And that was born both from my personal experience, but also from learning that I wasn't alone. We worked with many groups and learned that there was a vacuum of information for patients and a lack of understanding of warning signs by providers. So often healthcare providers were dismissive of younger women when they came in with a problem with their breast. Breast cancer presents differently very often with younger women. And, and younger women often real, don't think, uh, like their doctors don't think, that they can get breast cancer. So through mm -hmm. the Early Act, we created an education, awareness, and outreach campaign that is housed at the CDC that highlights breast cancer risks facing younger women and women at higher risk. And it specifically targets higher risk populations like Jewish and African-American women who often are at higher risk. For example, African-American women are less likely to get breast cancer but more likely to die from the disease because they are more likely to get a vicious form of breast cancer called triple negative, which your listeners will be familiar with. And so the Early Act was designed to help educate younger women, healthcare providers, and women at higher risk about the specific threats and warning signs that lead to early detection, diagnosis, and survival. And so through Early, the CDC created the Bring Your Brave campaign, for example, and that's a digital advertising and social media campaign that helps share the stories of women younger than 45 who are affected by breast cancer, getting them prevention information and guidance for understanding and managing their risk. Because honestly, Daniel, you know, if you're a younger woman, you aren't going to be getting your information about you know what your risk might be and your healthcare needs from a brochure and the mm -hmm. end table in a waiting room in a doctor's office. You know, so you have to get the messaging to where these women are. And the legislation, the Early Act also authorized the CDC to provide free continuing medical education courses so we could educate healthcare providers 
to raise their antennas on breast cancer diagnosis frequency in women, women younger than age 45, on younger women's associated risk factors, and the steps to decrease risk and monitor for signs of early onset breast cancer. And then finally, uh, and really most importantly, the Early Act created a grant program for organizations that help younger women with the unique challenges that they often face when battling breast cancer. And we've been able to appropriate over $65 million uh, in grants over the last 12 years since the Early Act became law. Wow, really important work. And it's funny you bring up you know, reaching people over digital. We often joke that through our education, we're we're competing with Netflix and Instagram because people only have so much time on the day. And so you do have to get the message out to folks where they are and, and providing novel ways to reach people who, you know, like you said, they're young, they're not thinking about these things is, is critically important. So it's an important legislation. And But you weren't content with that. You followed that up nearly a decade later with another more recent accomplishment, continuing to expand access to screening mammograms for women at age 40, called the Protecting Access to Life-Saving Screenings Act, or the PALS Act. What is the impact of, of that bill? So this was so critical, and it really have continued down the path of trying to identify voids and problems and, and try to address them, rather than just sort of raising my hand and saying, well, I'm for more funding for research, and I'm for you know early detection. We have to really treat early detection as one of our best tools to beat cancer. I mean, cure is great. We want to do everything we can to reduce the likelihood that someone ever gets breast cancer or any cancer um, and, you know, be able to rid people of cancer if they get it. But the PALS Act came together because a coalition formed with the mission of preventing any barriers to mammography and fighting to change that narrative for many years. Unfortunately, you know, we sometimes face obstacles to getting access to timely and appropriate screening, whether it's outdated screening guidelines and those can in turn create barriers to coverage. So, I mean, I just can't imagine how many survivors were unable to catch their cancer earlier because cost or a barrier was thrown in their path. And so we had an instance in which the United States Preventative Services Task Force issued repeatedly since 2009 faulty guidance that suggests that women between 40 and 50 don't need to get an annual mammogram. It's mind blowing. Wow. You know, all, all of those experts that focus on early detection un know and understand and promote that you need to begin your baseline mammogram at 40 and be able to get it, your screening regularly. And for over a decade, we've had data that shows that almost 10% of all new cases of breast cancer in the United States are found in women younger than 45. Like I said, I was 41. If I could not have gotten coverage for my mammogram when I was 41, that antenna that I mentioned would never likely have been raised. And I probably would have been diagnosed later. And I would have known about my risk much later. Uh, but the USPSTF continually puts out breast cancer screening guidelines that creates obstacles for women between 40 and 50 from, from obtaining mammograms. And we simply can't write off women who could benefit from early detection for any reason, especially age, and not now amidst a global pandemic that saw major breast cancer screening declines. So I passed the PALS Act to protect access to annual mammograms starting at age 40. We prohibit the implementation of the USPSTF guidelines. Those protections are current law through 2025. And listen, because of the PALS Act repeatedly being re passed, we've protected approximately 22 million women between the ages of 40 and 49 who have been able to maintain their guaranteed access to mammography and insurance coverage without a copay. And that's really important. Incredible. You bring up the impact of COVID and, you know, I know one of the 
many challenges facing screening right now is has been COVID. Over 9 million cancer screenings were missed during the pandemic. Many breast cancer screenings, lung cancer screenings, prostate cancer screenings, you name it. How are you in the Biden administration thinking about this and what do you do to reduce the backlog and get people to catch up? I mean, for you know, a long time, people were were scared to go to the hospital, scared to do their routine screenings and maintenance. So how are you handling that issue? This really remains a very troubling problem. The pandemic had a disproportionate effect on women and forced many of them to leave jobs to care for children and family members, forego re- routine health screenings like those for breast cancer. And many women are faced with difficult choices and factors like cost, access, and education that really have to be addressed. There was a study in October of 2020 from the Community Oncology Alliance, which examined the billing frequencies before and after the onset of the pandemic, and it showed a nearly 85% drop in breast cancer screenings. I mean, that's breathtaking. And and that means that there are people with cancer who are going to be diagnosed at a later, more severe stage of the disease. And we know that in a few more years, we're going to see an uptick as a result of these lack of screenings. And I'm especially concerned about the lack of screenings available in underserved and minority communities, because data from the CDC showed breast cancer screening declined by 84% among Hispanic women, 98% among American Indian and Alaska Native women. And so I first led a letter with over 40 members to the CDC highlighting the problem, and it asked the CDC to do a number of things, to work closely to track and frequently provide data and updates on breast cancer screenings, to focus on improving the number of breast cancer screenings through the early detection program and continuing to encourage, for example, healthcare professionals to conduct routine screenings. Um, And we asked them to do a number of other things, particularly working with Congress to determine whether legislation or additional funding was necessary to ensure not only that breast cancer screenings resume to pre-pandemic levels, but that health inequities preventing women from accessing these screenings would also be addressed. So in addition to the appropriations bill in fiscal year 22, and again in 23, I led the creation of a new program to address access to screening for all cancers called the Alcee Hastings Program for Advanced Cancer Screening. And that's already providing grants to health centers. We were able to get that funding launched and it calls for the establishment of a federal program to help address cancer disparities by directing much needed funding that would allow the NCI designated cancer centers throughout the country to expand cancer prevention and screening efforts in medically underserved communities through health centers. Well, it's it's great that you're doing that. And, you know, we've got the ear of many radiology leaders. What role can they be playing, the broader radiology community, radiologists, practice administrators, hospital administrators, um, and other healthcare providers play in driving that increased screening rate? Be vocal. You're the experts. You're the ones that are in the circle of trust of your patients, You are the ones that have the knowledge base to explain to policymakers why it is so critical that we make sure we maintain access to screenings so that any any form of cancer can be caught early, but education and awareness are key. Make sure your patients are educated on the importance of being screened early and that they can get, you, you can help them fight to have access to the care they need. But I can tell you just as a lawmaker, There are obstacles that are thrown in my way that when I have the advocacy of experts like radiologists, and that's how I look, you wouldn't believe, and some of you who are listening may remember that I had to fight to pass the early act because there were people in the cancer community that said there isn't enough 
breast cancer in younger women for us to distract from the older women and from the, the larger percentage of women that get breast cancer, which essentially said, you know, we're going to just write off those younger women because we don't want to scare them into unnecessary biopsies or have them bother with getting rid of a, of a lump that may never turn into cancer. <laughs> yeah, I would not have been wanted to be a ticking time bomb at 41 years old, um, which turned out to be breast cancer for me. And then when I had my double mastectomy, I had ductal breast cancer in my other breast that we didn't even see. So your advocacy and engagement is critical. Communities trust their local medical groups and the radiology community really can play a large role in helping fill those gaps and that information void. It's a critically important message. And, you know, radiologists I know are, you guys are busy, part of what... But but we need well to no and I, what i was going to say is part of what draws radiologists to the field is many of them like to uh practice in the dark so they're they're sort of behind <laughs> the scenes they're not dealing directly with patients every day dealing directly right. with with other people and so it, it's not their natural inclination to to advocate and so i think it's an important message for them to hear that you know when they do contact their congressperson or when they do contact their local officials they can really have an impact and people look to them you know, beyond just, the, you know, through the ACR, which is an important organization for them to be, you know, sure. channeling through, but there's so much more they can do because oftentimes these initiatives need funding, they need new laws. And so I, I appreciate you sharing that message with them. Some of my most effective advocates have been radiologists who, when they come out of the dark, <laughs> how important it is that these policies uh, remain in place and that we make sure that we clear barriers to early detection. So what's next on the cancer policy agenda? If, if you could wave your, your magic wand, what would you pass first? <laughs> so a magic wand. Well, I want to take a magic wand. And when I introduce the new legislation that I'm going to be launching in the next couple of weeks, we'll focus on cancer survivorship. This is a bill that was born partially out of many, many conversations that I've had with cancer experts, with healthcare professionals, as well as other scientists, and my own personal experiences in going through the arc of the journey with breast cancer. Because you have to make sure that we have access for every survivor to navigate the survivor continuum and do it in a way that is equitable and that isn't dependent on your geography, isn't dependent on your socioeconomic status, isn't dependent on your ability to get access to information. So we're introducing legislation that will hopefully ensure that every individual should be able to choose the path for themselves on how they will manage survivorship from the point of diagnosis through active treatment to the transition to primary care and then obviously focusing on the possibility of recurrence. And so this legislation will focus on things like care planning, transition, navigation, post-treatment you know, payment, so that we can have some of these services reimbursable through the survivorship journey, the workforce challenges, psychosocial issues, quality of care, use of technology and innovation. There's so much research and studies that need to be done on how do we best ensure the quality of life of a survivor throughout their survivor continuum? And then, of course, things like childhood, adolescence, survivorship, as well as fertility issues. So it's a very comprehensive survivorship bill. 
that we've taken input from so many different cancer survivor organizations and uh, and medical experts. And so look forward to working with the radiologists as we uh, progress on this journey. That's really interesting. What are some of the examples of challenges that survivors face? Do you mind going just one level deeper on, on that? No, no, no. I, I mean, just for example, you know, the the you're technically a survivor from the day of your diagnosis. So you go all the way through the treatment or whatever your care plan is, um, and navigation is pretty standard while you're going through battling your cancer. But then the navigation process after you complete whatever the course of treatment and surgeries and, and that process and, you know, sort of start the transition back to your normal life, the navigation through your follow-up care, how often you should get screened, the myriad of issues that a survivor needs to think about, whether it's your proper nutrition. Uh, I mean, you get handed a whole bunch of papers that if you read them, you can <laughs> see all the things that they, that they tell you you should focus on. But actually having a process that allows you to focus on it is it really varies on how easily accessible your continuum down that road of survivorship is. And a lot of it is that, you know, there's not always a healthcare provider that is giving you the information you need. There's not always a healthcare provider that's necessarily going to be reimbursed for those services. Um, there's a lot of research and studies that need to be done to sort of look at what are the needs of survivors. And then also, you know, so often people think they're going to be okay and then they get hit with recurrence and maybe they missed some screenings. Maybe they weren't on top of the, all that they needed to be doing during their post-survivorship, uh, their post-treatment and post-surgery period of their life. And if there was a comprehensive uh, gap-free continuum, then I think we save more lives. Thanks for explaining that a little deeper. And I know one of the things that frustrates radiologists is, you know, they might have that early detection and then they they don't really see or hear from the patient once they've started on their care journey. And then that person might come back 10 years later and they didn't see that patient for 10 years and they weren't getting the right, right. continuum of care, you know, post-treatment. And, and then they're so frustrated okay. um, knowing they could have done more to help that patient. And so there's a real gap in the care journey that, that this can help solve. Just using myself as an example, I mean, so I'm supposed to get an MRI every other year. That's just from the breast cancer. But on top of that, you know, because I carry the BRCA mutation, there's a myriad of other cancers that I'm either slightly or more than slightly at higher risk for. So I have other screenings that I'm supposed to go through. There's a risk of increased risk of uterine cancer from medication I've taken to ward off the breast cancer recurrence. So, I mean, I have very comprehensive access to quality, affordable health care. But if you don't, um, I mean, it's a dizzying number of things that you have to keep track of. And if you don't have what I have, which is a big support network to be able to make sure I do those things, then some of it slips through the cracks. And what slips through the cracks could cost you your life. Wow. One more question for you. You know, it was sad to hear about, you said you lost your mom to lung cancer. I lost my uncle to lung cancer. I believe lung cancer is the number one cancer killer in the country. And the lung cancer screening program is proven to save lives, yet it doesn't have anywhere near the level of adoption that, that mammography has. I'm just curious, you know, we, we did prep on this one, but have you thought about this at all? Is this an area of passion or 
concern for you and, and other members of Congress? Oh, it is for sure. I mean, both my grandmothers died of lung cancer. My own mom died of lung cancer. I'll tell you just the difference between when I lost my grandmother, which was 30 years ago, lung cancer killed her in a year and a half. And my mom was diagnosed at 58 years old and 16 years later. Uh, I mean, she had 16 years of really good, regular quality of life. She was able to beat it all that time. It, she knew it would eventually get her, but the progress that we've been able to make and the fact that they caught it early and that she was able to take steps, you know, surgery, chemo that actually wasn't intravenous chemo, so many advances have occurred in, in the fight against lung cancer. If there are ways that we can, I mean, I what I wouldn't have given, she basically watched my children grow up into adults, into adulthood, and never would have if we haven't hadn't made the kinds of advances that we have. So if we can make more progress and get more people access to early detection, then I'm all in. Yeah, it's beyond frustrating because uh, we know screening saves lives, yet we haven't gotten the adoption to where it needs to be. So we need to keep beating the drum there. Thank you so much for your time today. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the medical imaging community? I think that's it. I just really would encourage the radiology community the uh, medical imaging community to consider yourselves advocates as much as medical professionals, because when you take the time to communicate with policymakers, I'll tell you, we get a lot of insurance company lobbyists. We get a lot of people who come in and give us all the reasons why we shouldn't do something. And when you have people like you come in and whose only interest is saving lives, then lawmakers sit up and take notice, especially because they know that your most precious resource is your time and taking away time away from your practice and your, your patients is really difficult. And so if you've prioritized it, then people understand a lot better how important it is. Wonderful message. Congressman Wasserman Schultz, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Radiology Report podcast. Be sure to visit us at the radiologyreportpodcast.com or subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts to join us for our next episode. We are always looking for great guests. If you have someone you'd like to hear on the show, please get in touch with us online.